we're going to start a new study on the fruit of the Spirit. There it is, the fruit of the Spirit. I am so excited for this study. Uh, Each week, we're going to be taking a different piece of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to dive into it. Uh, Many of you know that we're in a rhythm of... uh, our summer months, and what happens in our summer months is we give Pastor Aaron uh, the summers off. Uh, it's, a, it's not like a sabbatical, uh, but we've been doing this for a number of years where since he preaches the majority of the time, we give him the summers off to rest, to recover, to tend to the vine in other areas. And so this summer, you're going to be hearing from a number of different people. We, we historically at the crossing have used the summer to raise up other men and to give them an opportunity to preach from the pulpit. I have been a recipient of that. Um, and so we're looking forward to diving in. And now more than ever, do we need to understand not only what the fruit of the Spirit is, but trust the Lord to have it come to bear in the life of His people to make a difference in the world around us. So... If you have a Bible, let's open it up. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 16 through 25. So if you will, please stand if you're here with us, if you are able. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. To those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, O great God, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. It is a joy to be with your people and to sing songs to you. And Father, we come to you this morning. Many of us are weak and heavy laden as we observe the things going on in the world around us, as our emotions come forth, Lord, we're tired. We're tired of not only hearing of what's going on, but seeing what's going on and the atrocities, the pain, 
the injustice, the racism. Lord, we long for change. Lord, we have seen people being murdered and people responding with passivity. We have seen reactions that are biting and devouring. The depravity of man certainly is on display, Lord. And God, I so thank you that you have done something about it. Lord, we look for solutions. We are being told to look for solutions. God, I pray that you would help us to be slow to speak, to be slow to anger, and certainly be quick to listen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the solution to the sin that is ravaging our world. And that you not only came, but you became sin for us. That you took this sin upon yourself on the cross in an act of great sacrifice, giving, and love. And Lord, I pray as we open up the Scriptures, as I unfold them for Your people this morning, that one, You would be honored. That two, we would grow in our love and devotion towards You. And Lord, that we would understand that though You have already taken care of sin, Lord, it's not yet been fully extinguished in this world and you have instructed us in how to live until you come back as we love our neighbor as ourself. Help us here and now from this time forth and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Okay, kiddos. You guys did a great job last week with Aaron and the lion and roaring. I'm not going to have as much engagement, but I want to ask all the kids a question, okay? Kiddos, are you looking at me? Okay, what, on the count of three, I want you to shout out what your favorite fruit is. Ready? Your favorite fruit. One, two, three. Wait, what? Pineapple. Blueberries. Chocolate ice cream, says the big kid in the back. Yes. I love the summer months because the fruit that we get at the grocery stores is ever more sweeter. And my favorite fruit is a pineapple. I've had pineapples on the islands of St. Lucia, the island of St. Lucia, the islands of Hawaii. And do you guys know how long it takes for a pineapple to grow? One pineapple. How long, Solomon? It does take two years for one pineapple to grow. Now, in our day and age, when we go to the grocery store and the produce section, we have this buffet of fruit in front of us, it's, it's hard to really fathom that aspect of when we pick up that pineapple, it took two years to get it to that store in our hands, eventually to our homes. Two whole years. I'm very thankful for industrial farming. I'm very thankful for strong supply chains that 
uh, supply our grocery stores. But man, that takes a long time. And I would say similarly, it takes a long time in the Christian life to bear the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. But so often we just want to walk into the grocery store, grab our fruit, and get out of there. Similarly, in the Christian life, we just want to bear fruit immediately. Let alone the people in our church that we interact with. We want to see more fruit in their lives as well. So we can taste it and experience it. But it takes time. And so I'm so excited that we're diving into this study on the fruit of the Spirit this summer. We are going to see how God is the one who produces the fruit of the Spirit gradually and over the long haul, not just of this summer, but of the Christian life. And this morning, this is what we're going to focus on. We, the people of God, are to be led by the Spirit of God as He produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, namely love. So, here's our roadmap. Here's where we're going. I want to give all of us a foundation of what the fruit of the Spirit is, so we're on the same page. And then I'm going to talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit and how we can walk by the Spirit so that we bear fruit. And then I'll spend the rest of our remaining time talking about what the sweet fruit of love is. And I've got some stories to inspire you to see it and taste what love is. So, as we set out to understand the fruit of the Spirit, here's the foundation that I want to lay. What we find in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 is a list of character virtues. Character virtues that are produced in the life of a Christian. The word fruit there is singular. It's not fruits, but it's a singular fruit. And that's for a purpose. Because the one single fruit that is produced in the life of a Christian is the fruit of godliness godliness. Many of you might be familiar with the concept of holiness, and I, and I would say they're synonymous, but I like godliness because it has this aspect of Christian character. Now, of course, that fruit looks and tastes differently with the different pieces of that fruit, but I want all of us to understand that the fruit of the Spirit isn't like a a fruit basket on your table with love as an apple and joy as a plum and peach as a pineapple. No, the fruit of the Spirit is one singular fruit, like a cluster of grapes with many different pieces. So I think it's helpful to understand it as one singular fruit because our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus, works within us. And when He works within us, He works in all of us, holistically. He wants us to be more complete in our Christian character. For example, 
I'm not a very patient person, but I tend to be fairly faithful. So, should I focus on being more patient, or should I just stay with my strengths? Wrong way to think about it. The Lord wants us to be holistic Christians, and we are to focus in all areas of Christian godliness. One commentator said it best, when the Spirit of God is at work in you, it's at work in all of you, crafting you into the godly person He wants you to be. So I think it's also helpful to think of the fruit of the Spirit as one singular fruit because it helps us to make sense of the other lists of character virtues throughout the New Testament. Paul has a number of lists, whether it's in Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Even Peter had one, 1 Peter 3.8. We went through this list in our first week of quarantine, staying at home. Peter says we are to be unity. We are to have unity, sympathy, tenderness of heart, humility of mind. You see, the New Testament authors were not trying to be exhaustive. They're pointing out the individual pieces of the fruit of the Spirit, which is godliness, and how it manifests itself. So, the fruit of the Spirit, among other character virtues are the work of God in the life of the Christian. Now, this is a process that we call sanctification. Sanctification. And sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. It's not to produce some sort of standing or acceptance before God as you pursue these fruits of the Spirit. No, we are accepted by God for our faith and faith alone. This is a major theme in the book of Galatians. But living a life of worship, as we are transformed more into the image of God, this is the process of sanctification. And praise be to God, through this process, He's given us various means of grace. The means of grace of the Scriptures— to understand what exactly God wants as He has revealed His will in our lives through the Scriptures. Another means of grace is that He's given us one another. He's given us the church to understand how to live out and how to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But chiefly and most importantly, He's given us the means of grace of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the, the paraclete to dwell within us. Jesus said in John 14 that He was sending the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance everything that He has taught us, to guide us, that it is better that Jesus goes away so that the Spirit would come. And so the process of sanctification which is lifelong, is to be under the leading of the Holy Spirit because He is the one that produces the end result of godliness in our lives. Jerry Bridges, one of my heroes in the faith, he said it well when he said, these godly qualities are not something that we can manufacture, take pride in, or lay claim to as self-generated. Rather, 
They are the work of God, and their source is God alone, the fruit of the Spirit. However, we have a crucial role to play to see the fruit of the Spirit come to bear in our Christian character. And we see in our passage this morning that we are to walk by the Spirit. And that's bracketed by we need to keep in step with the Spirit. It's not completely passive. There is action that is to take place in our role. Just like we saw last week with humility, we are to clothe ourselves with these garments of grace that are listed here in Galatians 5. But what exactly does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, I think verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5 cues us in very well. It says there that we are to be led, but if you are led by the Spirit. What Paul means here isn't so much this idea of like we follow the leader, much like uh, in the Daytona 500, all the cars follow the pace car. No, when we are led by the Spirit, it is as if we are hooked up and connected to a locomotive, an engine, a power source that we are following that is driving us in the Christian life. We are to stay connected to the locomotive of the Spirit of God. And we are to stay on that train track. And to expound on this metaphor a little bit more, if the Christian is hitched, connected to that locomotive, and we're going down the track, on both sides of those tracks are two dangerous ditches that Paul talks about and addresses in Galatians chapter 5 that we need to be cautious of, that we don't fall into. The two ditches are what is called the ditch of legalism and the ditch of license or licentiousness. Let me explain. Legalism, it's this dangerous error of the gospel that it's this danger error and false teaching of the, of the gospel that you can earn your favor with God by doing good things. We know that to not be true to, as we have received the grace of God by faith, we continue in the grace of God by faith. And so the dangerous ditch of legalism is that we think that we can continue to have the grace of God, the favor of God, as we obey the law, as we obey what God has commanded us to. That's not what has gotten you saved, and that's not what keeps someone from the grace of God. Legalism, dangerous ditch. You want to stay away from that. Similarly, the other ditch that we are to avoid is license. It's this dangerous error that promises that since you've been justified by your faith, since you have been declared righteous and approved and accepted before God, that you can just do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter how you live your life. No, that too is a dangerous, dangerous ditch that we are to avoid. If you have your Bibles, let's look at these in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to go back up to verse 1 to show you the ditch of legalism. 
starting in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You then are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. This is a dangerous ditch that Paul warns about. The ditch of legalism. If you keep any part of the law, you have to keep the whole law. Avoid that ditch as we are led by the Spirit. Let's look at the other one down in verse 13. The ditch of license. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You see the theme? Freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So the two grave ditches. We are to stay connected. We are to be led by the Spirit. So Paul expounds more in our passage this morning, this idea of a battle. A battle is that war within us to get us off track, to fall into one of the ditches. And this battle is daily to do what is right in our own eyes. And this battle wages war within us, telling us to do this, or that you need that, or you want this. You have to have this. Whatever this is, that's not the enemy. No, sin is the enemy. And if you have a battle waging in you right now, and you feel that tension, temptation comes, but you want to be led by the Spirit, you want to walk by the Spirit, that's good news. Because that means that the Spirit is at work within you. Rather than if that battle comes... And it's not really much of a battle, and you just give in to it. Don't be afraid of the battle. The Lord has given you means of grace to help with the battle. One another, the Scriptures, and that's why we need to pray for one another through this battle, because the desires of the flesh are waging war. And what happens when we give in to the enemy, which is sin, It leads us to be not only unhitched from the locomotive, but if we keep going, eventually we will fall into one of those ditches. And if you've ever seen a train derailed, it's very dangerous. It's devastating, and it could be deadly. So we, as Christians, are called to be led by the Spirit, to stay hitched to this locomotive. And when I look at the state of our country and what's unfolded over the last not only two weeks, but two months, guys, this is what happens when sin is leading. This is what happens when people are not led by the Spirit. And you better believe that what what is inside of every single politician that's stoking these flames 
that's inside every single looter that's out for their own good, that's inside of every single police officer that is unjustly killing people, what's inside of them is inside you and I. And if we're not careful, it will destroy us and it destroys other people as we're starting to see it manifest all throughout our country. But if we are led by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And let me just remind you that Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that he, along with all other Christians, have not only crucified the flesh, but that sin has been crucified. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ladies and gentlemen, as we see these terrors unfolding day to day in our country, it's always been there. It's just more magnified right now. And people are wanting to stand up and make a difference. And we should, the people of God. But remember, but remember, it is only through Jesus who loved himself, who loved us and gave himself for us. Therefore, we have crucified the flesh. We have crucified this enemy that is waging war within us. But if we're not careful, the vestiges of sin, which still remains until Christ returns, they're waging war. They're battling. And so we, as the people of God, are to be fully dependent, while at the same time fully responsible. And this is this is the paradox of sanctification in the Christian life. Ultimately, it is God who produces fruit within us, but we're not completely passive. And so we are to pursue these virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The gospel is the solution of what's going on in our lives and in our world. And so, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that we are to live by faith. And if you're wondering, okay, Daniel, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means to live by faith, ladies and gentlemen. That's how we began the Christian life, that we believed that Jesus loved himself and gave himself for us. And from that point forward, we continue to live by faith. So, when that person comes into your life or that person is already in your life and they're just unlovable. By faith, we are to remember that at one point in time we were unlovable to God. But in His great mercy, His great love, He gave Himself for us. And that is the power by faith that we pursue loving our neighbor as ourself. So by faith, we stay connected. We walk by the Spirit. We avoid the ditches. We stay connected to that locomotive. And we know that it is God who works in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so as we do that, we trust the Lord 
to bear the fruit of love. Love. It's a four-letter word. So much depth. So much beauty. The Beatles said, it's all you need. It's easy. Love is all you need. I strongly disagree. Love is actually oftentimes very costly and very hard. But it is very rewarding. The scriptures make it clear that we love because God first loved us. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives, and Jesus gave it all. And we respond by giving it all to him. The remaining time that we have this morning, I want to talk about specifically what it looks like to love your neighbor. And I want us to see it. I want us to taste it. Because it is sweet. And it is what we and our world needs right now. So we're going to start in the home. Then we're going to go to the church. And then the world. Talking about love. In the home, I'm going to address the husbands here. For those of you who are married or aspire to be married someday, husbands, your primary role is to love your wife, is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Paul makes this clear, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. He mentions three times, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's very difficult because sometimes our wives are unlovely. Can I say that? I can say that. But at times, so are we. And so we need the power source, the locomotive. Let me give you an example. The story has uh, inspired me recently. Uh, One of my favorite theologians Bible teachers is Wayne Grudem. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Wayne Grudem is, uh, he's, he's written this big, fat, systematic, systematic te- <laughs> theology textbook, and he used to teach at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for 20 years out of Chicago. For 20 years, he taught alongside world-class theologians like D.A. Carson, Douglas Moo, He was part of the SEAL Team 6 of scholars at Trinity. So he's this rock star. But his wife, Margaret, she developed uh, fibromyalgia. And it's pain in multiple muscle groups in your body. um, And there's no real known cure for it. You can treat it, but you can't cure it. So they had some friends invite them down to Arizona and come to find out that the dry, warm climate did wonders for Margaret's fibromyalgia. And so they made some more trips down there, and eventually Wayne comes to his wife and says, I want to I move down here. And she's like, you can't do that. You, you can't uproot of your influence at this premier seminary. And so, he said, this, this is what I would like to do. Let's pray about it. 
and so they prayed about it. And this is kind of dated, but they opened up the yellow pages, and they found Phoenix Seminary down there and contacted them. Phoenix Seminary was interested in having this SEAL Team 6 scholar come teach at their seminary. And uh, eventually they offered him two-thirds teaching time and one-third to be able to devote to writing. And Margaret said, sounds like a pretty good offer, but I'm going to let you make this decision for our family. And Wayne thought to himself, if I suffered as Margaret has been suffering, I would want to do this for myself. So I'm going to do this for you, Margaret, for our family. And he gave up this prominent seminary teaching position for his bride. He gave himself up for her. And so, husbands, how are you leading your wife by giving yourself up for her? Again, the gospel is the motivation. This is what Jesus has done for us. How are we doing it in return to our wives but for Jesus? Also by way of application in the home, you moms, you give yourselves time and time and time again to your children. The Lord sees that and he is honored by that. Keep going. Stay connected to the locomotive. And for you children, thanks for letting me know what your favorite fruit is. I've got an application for you guys today. We're talking about love. And I would encourage all of you to love your siblings or your friends by giving them something. Maybe that's something physical like a toy or a book that you could give them. But maybe it's you give up something so that you go and do something with your brother. Or maybe it's something that your sister wants and you give it to them. We demonstrate the love of God when we give. So that's in the home. How about in the church? John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is Jesus on the night before he was on the night he was betrayed in the upper room with his disciples. And he's telling the, the disciples who would be a part of the church to love one another. And ladies and gentlemen, honestly, during this last season of the pandemic. There have been pockets of times and folks in our church body who have not had love on the forefront, who have exploited this opportunity to talk about, you know, it's my rights, my rights, my rights. This is what I want. And instead, what I haven't heard is so much about my neighbor, my neighbor, my neighbor. Again, this isn't across the board, but there are pockets of this in our church body right now. A lack of love. And conflict has arisen, which I'm not so concerned about. Inevitably, conflict will arise in the church. And a healthy church isn't one that 
is absent of conflict. No, a healthy church is one that knows how to deal with conflict in light of the gospel and lays down our desires, our so-called needs and rights for the sake of others. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I think we are in a case study right now for Romans 14 and issues of the conscience. So many people are wanting so many different things right now. So many people are wanting to wear masks, to not wear masks, to want to stay distanced, to be together. And they're making all of these issues of the conscience moral issues. What is right? What is wrong? When really they're wisdom issues. What is the most wise thing to do? How can we love our neighbor best right now? And we might come to different conclusions on that, and that's okay, because they're issues of the conscience. They're not explicitly laid out morally in the Bible. And so we do well when conflict does arise, when we disagree with one another, to not hit the eject button and just say, I'm done with you. No, we move towards one another. We, again, follow the example of the gospel and move towards people. If you've been sinned against, you move towards people and tell them, this is how I've felt sinned against. And you bring that to the light, trusting that the Spirit of God will work in that fellow Christian. And when that happens... Oh, church, please let the gospel reign. Please let forgiveness be abundant. Please let reconciliation be on the forefront. And our chief goal is to honor God by loving the other person. A new commandment I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving each other has an implicit reaction of mission. And when the community cares for one another, and that is on display, when the community forgives, when the community doesn't just hide conflict but brings it to the light and deals with it, that is when the gospel is on display. Ladies and gentlemen, we are messy. We We have a battle waging war within us. We don't have to put on our Sunday best and come here and act like we got it all together. No, it's messy. And we are called to love one another in that mess. Lastly, love in the world. A community that's on display to the watching world will be a bright, bright community. And we are to let the love of Christ compel us towards others. And I've seen this happen during this pandemic season, and it's been so encouraging. Many of our life groups have not only survived the quarantine, but they've thrived. They've connected well, not over Zoom, but not only over Zoom and online, but people are starting to meet together in person. And these bonds are stronger than they were before. People have joined our church, joined life groups during quarantine. I've been so encouraged by a number of individuals who have purposely sought out other individuals both in our church and outside our church. And they've kept mission on the forefront. 
I think of my brother Jason Smith opening his home. I think of my brother Brandon caring well for his friend with Jason. I think of my brother Joey pursuing his friend Josh. I think of our friends that have volunteered here for the Crossing Distribution Center, TCDC, and family dinner nights. And they've put themselves at risk to serve and help other people. Many of you have given of your finances. These are all demonstrations of the love of Christ that has compelled you to respond during this season. And it's compelled me. It's compelled me to live on mission, to have a fervency more than ever before. And it's been a great joy to enter into people's lives amidst the mess. Just this week, something happened in our neighborhood that I I never would have guessed would have happened when we moved into that neighborhood. See, three years ago, we moved to a different part of town, and once we got into the house, we found out that there was a family that lived down the street from us. And this family, they're African-American, and some of the neighbors warned us about that family. Oh, you, you want to be careful of the black family. And I just, that never settled with me. And then I met a police officer who lives on my street. She didn't know where I lived, and then I told her, and she said, Oh, you're down from that family that deals drugs. And I was like, wait a minute, you know that this is going on and you're letting it continue? So that was about a year ago, and then my eyes were open to it. And then I started to see it all the more. And then over the last season of quarantine, this uh, narcotics operation was in full display. (laughs) They didn't even care. But then just this week, they got busted. And, And I'm saying they got busted. We're talking 10 cop cars, SWAT team, dogs, the whole thing. Four people arrested, sitting on the corner, right down the street from my house. And amidst the, the tensions that are going on in the, in the world around us, around this concept of racism, of Black Lives Matter, amidst the brokenness that we're seeing, I, just, I felt compelled for this family. And the night before the bust, I'm, I'm walking around the neighborhood praying for them. Lord, I don't, I don't know what exactly, how to respond here. I'm preaching a sermon on love. I, help me to love these people. And then in God's sovereignty, the bust happens. And I prayed more fervently and looked for opportunities. Well, there were multiple people who lived in this house, and chiefly there's a, a, a grandma and a grandpa and, and the grandma, the, the matriarch of the house, she was sitting out front of her house the next day. And I was out front playing with my kids. And the ball goes down the street, and I go down there, and I shoot it back up to them. And then I just say, hey, how you doing? There's an opportunity to enter in. And she opened the door. Uh, not physically, uh, the open, open the door for a conversation. And I said, it seemed like a lot went down here yesterday. Um, I'm not looking for a story or an explanation. I, all I want you to know is that Michelle and I, we, we care for you. And, and we want to help you. And we want to love you in this season. 
are there some tangible ways that we can do that? And she, she didn't necessarily give any. I, I offered bringing dinner, um, a gift card or something like that. And she was like, no, I think we're okay. And she looks down at my kiddos and she said, it's fun to see you play with your boys. I remember when my children were that age. My children had their day yesterday, and your children will have their day too. It was a, kind of a funny moment. Let the guard down a little bit. And I just let her know, as I was driving by their house that morning, the sun was rising, and I was reminded that God's mercies are new each and every morning. And they are offered in abundance. She shook her head and she said, thank you. And so, guys, I, I share that story with you, not, not to puff myself up or, or let you know about what's going on in my neighborhood. Uh, actually, I do want you to pray for us uh, as we continue to try to build a relationship with people. But, guys, the world is messy, and we can't be afraid to enter into that mess because God has entered into the mess of our lives and he's helped us. And he's not only helped us, but he's saved us. And he wants us to be the means of grace as we love other people and bear fruit in our lives. Amen? So who in your life can you enter in? Who in your life have maybe you been afraid of their mess? And what will it look like to, by faith, walk by the Spirit and love them, pursue them, give yourself for them? Just know that you are not in this endeavor alone. Uh, We have a church family who wants to enter into people's mess along with you. There was actually a number of people from our church that were over at our house when that bust happened this week, and it provided an opportunity to, to enter in and pray together. So as we shut it down this morning, I remind you, the fruit of the Spirit is godliness, and it will take a lifetime to be produced. But as Jesus said in John 15, that He is the vine, and we are the branches, We are to remain in Him. And we will bear much fruit. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so, let us start here today, this week, and for the rest of our lives, this path of being attached to the locomotive, growing in godliness, and loving those in our homes, in our church, and in the world around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am grateful for the time to walk through this passage this morning, this passage that has impacted me much this week. Lord, we are desperately dependent of your mercy and grace day in and day out. Lord, we want to see fruit in our lives, but we submit that You are the one who produces it. Help us, Lord, by faith to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to love those in our homes, to pursue those in our church, and for those in our world who have messy lives, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to enter into the mess because, Lord Jesus, you weren't afraid. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded and that we would be quick to share with others that the only way to be cleansed of the mess is through the blood of the Lamb who was slain. We're grateful, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.